all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. That one wasn't even really very... It's it's one you've done before, but... It is one I've done before. I always uh, It's always a surprise to yeah. me. I'm running out of variations. <laughs> I'm sure you'll come up with something. <laughs> um, not much housekeeping today, which is fine because we had, like, way too much housekeeping last time. I meant to remind you, now I'm thinking of it, because I don't think you did. Did you ever put the pictures of the brown building? I still haven't. Oh, okay. No, I need to. Talked about that last time. Yes. We'll do. Hopefully we'll get that done. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. I thought of that today and didn't do it, but. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, I need to. Um, uh, I guess, rate, review, prescribe. The three R's. The three R's. It's very important. Use, yes. Follow us at All Bad Things Pod, Twitter, Insta, Facebook. Yes. That's where we're the most active. Correspond with us. Yes. Reach out. And yeah. re- remember, if you do, you get a tragedy. <laughs> and you get a tragedy. Yeah, that's right. We have a nice long laundry list of tragedies. Yes, yes we do. <laughs> Including one that your mom suggested tonight. <laughs> yeah, one I know very little about, so yeah. I'm kind of interested in it myself. But, yeah, I need but to- yeah. Write that down. So, should we just get straight into it today? I think we shall. Open the uh, the envelope, Open please. The envelope of doom. <laughs> so I. And the tragedy goes too. <laughs> I've got to warn you about this one. Okay. This is gonna be a bad one. Okay. It's gonna be a a bad one. We've done plenty of those. Oh yeah, yeah. This has really sad badness to it. So, just a, just a warning, trigger warning for sad, everything. Hashtag sad badness. Sad badness. That sounds Our, like an emo band. <laughs> it does. So it might be, actually. Sad badness. Sad cab for cutie. <laughs> All right. That, that's their tribute band. <laughs> Are you right? You ready? Yes. So, today's topic is JAL Flight 123. Ooh. Plane crash. Plane crash. Mm. Yes. This is a bad one. I mean, not that any plane crash is good. And especially it's interesting um, because recently there have been those Southwest Airlines incidents. The lady Mm -hmm. getting sucked out the window partway and then dying. And then the window cracking but not breaking. But they made an emergency landing. And it's so funny because after talking about all of these terrible flight tragedies when things like that happen i'm like well only one person died mm-hmm. <laughs> or hey or nobody, nobody died, died. <laughs> yeah i mean not to say everybody thought they were going to right and not to say that one person dying is fine or good or okay obviously very tragic very sad for that person's family however it's not what we're about to talk about i was gonna say i have a feeling that uh <laughs> given the hashtag sad badness that this is going to involve more than one person. Yes. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with a. <clears throat> I'm going to go with several hundred. Okay. And I have no idea what this is. Okay. Well, you know it's a mm-hmm. plane crash, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, 
what what how do you just how would you define several? Several hundred? Yeah, you said several hundred. So what does that mean? 200 plus. Well, that's a that's a lot. Can you 225. Okay. Damn, I hope I'm not okay. On Monday, August 12th, 1985, Japanese airline, hence the JAL, flight 123 Crashed into, are you ready for me to say some Japanese? Yes, okay. absolutely. Mount Takamagahara in Japan. Do you like that just rolled off the tongue? It yes. did just roll off the tongue. Killing 520 oh. passengers and crew in what is still the deadliest single aircraft accident in aviation history. No shit. Now I'm going to pop quiz hot shot you okay. a little bit. We covered the single deadliest plane crash already. This Remember, this is the single deadliest single, single plane yeah. crash. So what was the one with two or more planes? Uh, that was the, the Australian? No, that was uh, just one plane crashing into a mountain. Erebus. No, but I, but I thought Erebus. They, yeah, no, but that's not the one. I, I, the other one on that took place on the runway. I mm-hmm. thought that also happened in Australia. Nope, that was Tenerife. Remember the Tenerife? South Africa? No, it was in Europe, but damned if I can't remember. I can't remember. Was it Italy? Shit. We should know our own disasters better. Anyway, it was Europe. (laughs) Somebody who just listens is like, it's this, it's this. You idiots. Well, this is episode, depending on whether we do this one first or another one that we're recording, this is either episode 45 or 46. So we've done a lot. It's... It's easy to forget the details, even if it's, like, a major detail, like, where it happened. But at any rate. But that involved two planes. Yes. Colliding on the runway. And that was, like, 700 people? No, that was 568 or something. I bring it up in this research. So it wasn't that many more than this. So, But again, that one was two planes. This is just one plane. plane. Wow. So they must have been making a flight from, like, Japan to New York City or something like that? Like... And well, that's what it was, okay. We'll get to that. Okay. Shot. Because you're going to need it. All of us. We're all going to need it. So. So we've covered several aircraft disasters at this point, and obviously we're going to cover many more because it's just plenty it's of them. a long list. Yes. Um, so I'm just going to um, mostly cover like the aviation details as we go, because we've talked about a bunch of aviation particulars in those previous episodes. But just to sort of quickly introduce the players here, Japanese Airlines, or JAL, those are our cats fighting each other in case anyone could hear that, um, is the second largest air carrier in Japan. It was started back in 1951, so it has a long history in the country. Um, And just a couple years after its inception in 1953, it became the national carrier of Japan. Okay. It's a big airline. Still, to this day, like, this didn't kill them. Uh, That was poor choice of words. Yeah, I was... (laughs) This didn't... Derail them? Uh, Yeah, okay, it's not a train. It's not a train. (laughs) This didn't put them out of business. There, I'll say that. They, they are still um, in Japan, I think. Shit, I did this research a while ago. Let me just keep going. Let me stick to the script here. So Flight 123 was a Boeing 747-SR. The SR standing for... Any guesses? 
I have no idea. Short range. Okay. So in other words, this flight was not going from Japan to New York or vice versa, as you were suggesting. It, it was built to require less fuel since it was taking shorter flights so it could carry more passengers. Specifically, it could carry up to 550 passengers. This is wow. a big-ass plane. Okay. Um, the, so it's, not, it's like a commuter plane, kind of. It, like. Yes, essentially. It goes back and forth across the island. and. Well, it, it, it's it's for short hauls, yeah, yeah, so that it can carry. Not, not. I guess commuter isn't really the right, but, but within the country. Yeah. You know, Japan, yeah, within the country of Japan. Um, so the 747SR was mostly used by JAL and their immediate competitor, Japan's, this, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right because it just sounds weird, but all Nippon Airways, N-I-P-P-O-N. Okay. Nippon? Yeah. Nippon. Nippon? Maybe. <laughs> it just reminds me of nipples. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> anyway. Straight be- to the gutter. <laughs> like when I'm watching hockey, every time yes. somebody says puck, you can imagine what I think yes. they're actually saying. So, yeah. Anyway, because the 747SR has such a large seating capacity, it's one of those bigger planes that has a middle row. Sure. You know, it's not just mm-hmm. left side, right side. It's It's got the middle two. And the left side and right side in those planes usually have, they have at least three, but so they sometimes the, have four seats. Here's the weird thing. I couldn't find a good seating chart really? of a 747SR. They don't make them anymore. I think I get into that a little bit. But anyway, um, I, I could not find this exact model and and I also couldn't even determine whether it was a double decker or not like if it was just oh, yeah. so it's... if anyone can find this exact model and the seating chart let me know but otherwise I, I had some trouble finding it and I did look for it so anyway uh, so this particular Boeing 747 SR-46 that was that exact model um, had this this very plane had successfully made 12,318 flights. Wow. Before flight 123. So without incident. Yeah. Well, without well, crashing. Without, yeah. Because it was still around, obviously. So this flight took place on August 12th, 1985, which was around Obon or Bon Festival in Japan. So uh, Bon Festival takes place on the 15th day of the seventh lunar month. So it varies from year to year, you know, like kind of like Chinese New Year. Mm. It's not based on a traditional calendar. Well, it is based on a very traditional calendar, but not on a Gregorian calendar. Not on our calendar. Right. Um, So in this year, it was on August 15th. So this, this flight was on August 12th. Bon Festival was on August 15th. It's a Buddhist tradition, um, this festival, during which people honor the spirit of their ancestors. And so generally a lot of people take trips back to their hometowns or to their resorts or to resorts for the holiday. So there's a spike in travel around this time of year. Sure. So as a result, the vast majority of passengers on board, 462 passengers, were Japanese. Basically, most likely traveling back to, like, their hometowns Mm -hmm. for this festival. Uh, All 15 crew members were Japanese, and the remaining passengers were from China, West Germany, because this was still in the Soviet Union days. This was 1985. Hong Kong, India, Italy, South Korea, the UK, and the US. But obviously those passengers were in the minority. It was mostly Japanese passengers, all Japanese crew. So this is a... um, this is a story that's going to unfold 
like this the that a crash itself very terribly obviously and then we're going to get into the cause and all that and that's going to be its own story so we have kind of multiple angles here um Flight 123 was taking off from Haneda Airport, which is the common name for Tokyo International Airport. So, as always, since we are geographically challenged here on all bad things, here's the geography. So, Tokyo, obviously, we know Japan is like an an island or kind of an island, a big island, and then it's got some smaller-ish islands Mm -hmm. in it, right? So, that's Japan. Um, Tokyo is on the east side of Japan, centrally located from north to south, but on the on the coast, on the extreme east, but but not on the Pacific Ocean because there is a peninsula to its immediate east. So it's actually, and that peninsula is the Chiba Free Prefecture. Um, although apparently Chiba is also considered part of the greater Tokyo area, area, but that's all just to say that the main body of water that the main airport in Tokyo is on is called Tokyo Bay. It's not the Pacific Ocean. So, okay. anyway. Um, and I, I do have a picture. I have a couple of pictures. Yeah. Um, and one is going to be of the uh, flight path. So I'll show that to you. But let me show you. This is the... This is the plane, which really doesn't look all that it big, really but, but there's no. no, there's no, um, there's nothing to scale it to. Yeah, it's kind that's of true. There on its own. So anyway, um, but then again, we're talking about, you know, this is 1985 when the actual crash happened. So these planes were probably designed in, you know, seventies, eighties. So they wouldn't be as big per se yeah, as planes sure. built today. I'm not sure what the biggest plane is th- these days. I, I know no they idea. make it. Enormous ones like those Airbuses or whatever are pretty mm-hmm. huge. I've never, I've never I've ridden never been on, on a plane that big. Yeah, the in fact, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think. I'm not sure if I've ever been on a plane that had a row of middle seats. I have once or twice. Yeah, but very rarely. Because I've I, but only I do been on like a domestic times. flights. No, I, I me too. But I, I have had a couple of those flights. Where there was a well, that's no, not true. We went to the Dominican Republic, but still, that's not. I don't think they had a middle. No, anyway. no, because that no. was just going from Miami to to the Dominican Republic. So Which wasn't that far? No, it's a short haul from Miami, not that far. Right. Ne- neither of us have um, flown overseas Mm-mm. as such. So yeah. Um, Cross country a couple times, but never. Overseas. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so anyway, Tokyo is on Tokyo Bay, not technically the Pacific Ocean. So anyway, uh, Flight 123 was heading from Tokyo to Osaka, Japan, which is about 500 kilometers or 300 miles west and slightly south of Tokyo. So the plane's intended route was to take off northbound out of Haneda, do like a little U-turn, which isn't abnormal for planes to do when they're leaving an airport, right? I mean, that's pretty common. They I do feel it, it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then fly along the west slash southwest coast of Japan and into Osaka. So we're not talking a long flight. This is like 300 miles. It's, it's, a plane can cover that, you know, less than an hour. Easy. Like, a flight from here to Miami, which is 700-ish miles, is less than two hours. So this is Mm -hmm. less than an hour flight, I would think. So flight 123 had 15 crew members and 509 passengers. 
It was scheduled to take off at 6 p.m., but pushed away from Gate 18 at Haneda a few minutes late at 6.04 p.m., and finally took off at 6.12 p.m. So, aside from it being a little bit late, like 12 minutes late taking off, um, everything otherwise was going initially fine. The plane took off without any problems, so takeoff was not an issue. They did the little U-turn, started heading down the coast, and other than being a little off schedule, they, everything was fine. It was all good. Until it wasn't. So around 6.24 p.m., about 12 minutes into the flight, so not too far into the flight, the plane was around 24,000 feet high over Sagami Bay, and obviously not too far from Tokyo because it had just been it, in the air. It had just left. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, at that point, the plane's aft pressure bulkhead burst open. So That doesn't sound good. Well, I, don't, it, I don't know what that is. Right? But, but what doesn't sound good about it? It blew open. Bursting. Yeah. Anything bursting or blowing open, that's terrible in a while, plane. While you're 24,000 feet in the air. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, this kind of ties back. This I was doing this research before the, the thing happened in the Southwest plane with the lady being sucked out the window. But that's kind of what you, the, the visual you get, right? When something opens to the atmosphere in a plane. Yeah. People are getting sucked right? out. Right? That's like the, well, that's not what happens here. Yeah. But you, that is what you think that's about, right? That's the first right? thing I think of. So, yeah. So, anyway, anything bursting open during a flight seems like very bad news. And this was. But I did have to sort of dig into why this was a bad thing, other than the fact that there's not supposed to be... It's it's supposed to be intact. Other than the fact that it's not supposed to happen. <laughs> right. Why is it not supposed to happen? Mm. And I also dug into a little bit more about plane engineering, so sit back and enjoy my attempt to explain. Uh, I would... Shot. <laughs> shot, <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm. All right. So... What is a bulkhead? You hear about I, I mean, them all the time, yes, right? Yes, but what is it? Okay. Aside from being, you know, like we know it in the context of you get a bulkhead seat, mm-hmm. right? Those are the ones with the extra legroom and maybe on the exit row or whatever. Um, but it, it's a its actual definition is a wall or a separation between the parts of a plane. Okay. okay? And not just a plane. There are other applications for the use of bulkheads in ships and stuff like that. But obviously, we're just talking about planes in this case, aviation. Now, the aft, which means the rear, mm. right, of the plane, pressure bulkhead serves a different purpose than to just be a wall, like, say, between first class and coach or something like that. It's the rear part of the pressure seal that's created in an aircraft. Okay. So it's part of what keeps the pressure the cabin re- pressurized. Yes, that that, ke- that keeps the plane in its own little ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? As far as pressure co- uh, is concerned. And obviously we know that planes are pressurized because they fly up into altitude altitudes where their air is too, you know, so-called thin or ox- meaning it doesn't contain enough oxygen um, for humans to breathe and survive and be comfortable and everything like that. Plus, it's super cold up high. So mm-hmm. there's it's it's like I said, a plane <laughs> It's some place you could not exist on your own. Exactly. So a plane is like a little world yeah. flying up into a different world. So you have to like a submarine, same thing, right? Right, it's creating its own little environment to because you it's otherwise in a hostile environment for human beings. 
So pressurization keeps adequate levels of oxygen in the air of a plane so everyone can breathe comfortably. So you can imagine this aft pressure bulkhead was helping to keep this pressure seal required to keep the plane cabin pressurized. So when it burst, it resulted in uncontrolled depressurization. Which is very bad news to the human body, which is why there are oxygen masks that pop down in case of cabin depressurization. Um, do you remember the um, when we were on Akshay's podcast and he was telling about the Byford diving bell incident? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's explosive decompression, mm-hmm. where literally these <clears throat> human bodies exploded. That's not exactly what we're talking about here. Um, it was not explosive. However, it was still very bad for many mm. reasons. First of all, the bulkhead that burst um, burst open took down the steel the ceiling in the bathroom lavatories in the in the bathrooms in the back of the plane, which damaged the fuselage, mm. which is never good, and took out the vertical stabilizer. Now, before we get into that, I feel like we need a little a little light break. Well. I, yeah, and I certainly I, I have a feeling I know where we're going with vertical stabilizer now that that thing's no longer working. Well, so let me interject with one of my favorite um, odd couple stories. So I'm a big fan of the old odd couple TV show with Jack Klugman and Tony Randall. I'm also a big fan of Jack Klugman, hence I have mentioned Quincy and me on this show before and wanted to be a coroner when I was a teenager. Anyway. Like any normal teenager. Of course. Any normal teenager <laughs> who homeschools themselves, you know, like every kid you does. Want, you want to become a coroner. <laughs> you want to watch others die. <laughs> no. No, I'm kidding. See them after they've yeah, died. Yeah, you want to see, see? them after they've You don't like, watch them. That's true. Yeah. That would be an executioner. And then you should worry about your child if they want to become an executioner. Yeah. So there was a, an episode where Felix, you know, Odd Couple, the neat one. Oh, the, okay. I thought the, we might have been talking Quincy. No, no, no. Back to Odd Couple. Felix, played by Tony Randall, is afraid of flying because he had a harrowing experience on a plane. But he has to go, like, cover an assignment for work or whatever. And so Oscar says he'll help him through his fear of flying. So they're in a pl- on a plane, and... They're sitting on the on the runway before they've even taken off. And Felix looks out the window and he says, oh, no, that engineer looks worried. I think I can read his lips. And he starts pretending like he can read this guy's lips. He's just being paranoid. And he, he says, I much fear there is a leak in the fuselage. <laughs> so that was is imagined and uh so fuselage always makes me think of that and then he and oscar's as, like as it would anybody yeah <laughs> and then oscar was like oh no i think i can read his lips i much fear there's some nut trying to read my lips <laughs> was, i don't know it was cute you can watch it on youtube that's that's just my little moment of levity because things are about to get terrible so what, why do you think... <laughs> Not as terrible as The Odd Couple, though. No, The Odd Couple is great. It's the best. I love The Odd Couple. Um, so why do you think ver- losing a vertical stabilizer is bad? It sounds like that's what's going to keep the plane you know, vertically stabilized. Like, 
Without it, it will pitch left and right, like, almost uncontrollably. You, you, nail, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly right. The vertical stabilizer is a flat, vertically oriented, obviously, piece at the back of the plane that keeps the plane stabilized, keeps the nose of the plane from yawing, which mm-hmm. exactly, like you said, means from swinging from side to side. So it was gone from the plane. And there is a picture of this... That's what this, so what the red circle here is showing is the lack of the piece, the vertical oh, stabilizer. okay. So remember, this was, they were still not far from Tokyo, so yeah. there is But this whole picture. this whole thing is missing. Yes, that's the vertical stabilizer. Oh, man. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. So th- this is not good. Uh, yes. Uh, was so. that like a picture, was that a picture of the actual Yes. Earth? Yes. Was that gotten from like a satellite photo or something? Or I, I, I'm trying to remember the. Or like a rescue jet. N- no, I think it was. I'm not positive. We'll get more into like. Well, let's keep going. Yeah, Maybe it'll that, kind of that materialize. Was, that, that just made it. That was really fucking creepy. Because you know that that's. Well, the you actual, know that yeah, that's that's the plane itself. You see what the plane model looks like, and then you see, oh, it's missing that huge piece mm-hmm. that looks like it's really important. Yeah. Fuck. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. So now the cabin was depressurized. The vertical stabilizer was gone. And then to make matters worse, when the stabilizer got knocked off, it took out all four hydraulic lines in the plane. Losing the hydraulic system makes the plane incredibly difficult to steer. This, I thought, was a very helpful um, analogy. It's compared to losing power steering in your car. Sure. So imagine trying to control your car without power steering. It's between the loss of the vertical stabilizer and the hydraulic system, the plane was becoming almost uh, impossible. Out of yeah, almost impossible to control. So, oh, man. there were three members of the flight crew on flight 123. Captain Masami Takahama. Huh. Do you like that? Yes. I don't know how I'm, I'm very good at Japanese, I, apparently. I, I feel like bowing. <laughs> um, he was a 49-year-old, very experienced senior pilot. First officer, Yutaka Sasaki, a 39-year-old up for promotion to captain. Um, so this was a training flight for him. Oh. That was not oh. going well. And flight engineer Hiroshi Fukuda... A 46-year-old veteran engineer. So this was an experienced flight crew. This is not a novice crew. But unfortunately, because of the mechanical failures, there wasn't There's really much just, they could do. There's no training for that. No, well, yeah, yeah. If the like all of the fail safes are like if you have some semblance of control over the plane. But now. First off, they did the right thing immediately after the bulkhead burst. Obviously, they knew it happened. God and they immediately, damn. immediately broadcast a distress signal. Yeah. Which was received by the Tokyo Area Control Center, which is why I'm thinking that that's maybe why they took a picture of the plane or something. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. They, they knew the plane was in trouble. The mm-hmm. plane was, the flight crew was able to put out this distress signal. So I think that's why there were pictures. That's that's my my thought. But I didn't look into the, the details of that. Um, air traffic control officers instructed Captain Takahama to execute an emergency landing at Nagoya Airport, which was a little west-northwest of where the plane was. 
But Takahama turned down their suggestion and requested to land back at Haneda because he wasn't able to control the plane enough to get it to Nagoya, mm-hmm. where they wanted him to go. He's like, look, not, not I, I can't. Let me try to just get back where we came from. Yeah, it you, seemed you, the most feasible if option. If you can clear out like a, whatever Japan's version of an interstate highway is, if you can clear right. out one of those, that'd help even better. Right, just let me <laughs> just land Just let me fucking somewhere. land now. Yeah. But unfortunately, none of this really mattered because the captain wasn't able to control the plane much at all. Yeah, I mean, this thing is fucked. All of the hydraulic fluid drained from the lines, and combined with the loss of the vertical stabilizer, the plane began entering what is called a fugoid cycle. In plain speak, that means that the plane started pitching up and down. Now, I'm very much not a fan of turbulence in any way, shape, or form. I'm not so, sure anybody is. Well, my dad says he is. <laughs> my dad says he likes turbulence. I think that it's, is fun. I think it's something that you could, you could definitely get used to. I mean, especially I imagine flight crews do, yeah. or, or you know, flight attendants. And, but you know. uh, no, I'm not a big fan. No, it's terrifying. <laughs> and that's just when it's a little bit, or like, yeah. like where were we flying that one time where it was kind of a like when we even were, the flight was, attendants had to be seated. It was when we were coming back from our New York trip. We were coming back from Buffalo. <sighs> that's right. To and not was, even to yeah, we were coming here. It was already delayed too. Yeah. That was a shit because there was flight. a storm. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, when, at some point in the middle of the flight, they were, like, they were doing the food and beverage service and all that. That's right. And the captain came on, and he was like, I need the flight attendants to take their seats. And it's like, okay. It's like. Oh, shit. It's like, that's, uh, that's uh, captain speak for buckle in. This is going to be a fucking and bit of a choppy was, ride. And it was not comfortable <laughs> no. at all. So. And I was watching Game of Thrones when he made that <laughs> announcement. So I was already watching, like, all this death happen. And I was, and I. And then when we started hitting that bad turbulence, uh-huh. I had to turn it off. I'm yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, I can't watch can't people watch. dying right now. And that's right, because when we landed, we immediately got a drink. We yes. were like, yep, oh, let's go yeah. get a cocktail. Yeah. I, I almost lit up a cigarette on the plane. And I was just like, fucking, like, that was a rough one. <laughs> so, so imagine how terrifying that was. Now, this... Imagine it like a trillion times. I'll take that. I'll take that. Every day of the week. Absolutely. So I cannot imagine the abject terror of everyone. Oh, because you know, you know it's over. If this, if all this shit's happening. So, in spite of this loss of control of the aircraft, the flight crew was actually able to maintain some semblance of control using the engine thrust and lowering landing gear. This was an experienced crew. They knew, like, we are clearly on our last leg here, but let's try this. Let's try this. And so they weren't immediately going, like, okay, now they're just crashed. That's it. Like, mm-hmm. it, they didn't just go down. They weren't. Because they're they're trying to do their best to get whatever, but right. trust me, the passengers. Oh, my God. The passengers are oh, like, yeah, this is it. We're going to get to that. Oh, no. I'm sorry. We're going to get to that. But anyway. No. They, they were obviously fighting a losing battle, regardless of their experience. So, the plane had dropped down to about 13,500 feet from, I think it was 24,000 initially. And the flight crew reported to air traffic control that they had an uncontrollable aircraft. They're like, look, we tried. We got nothing. Not happening. Right. This sucker's going to crash. It's just a matter of where. 
Yeah, basically. Or it's going to, quote, land at some point, somehow. And at this point, things started getting even crazier when it came to the flights or the plane's flight path. They'd come over land. Remember, they were kind of skimming the coast, Mm -hmm. but they came north over land, north over the over the country. Then did like a weird loop de loop, and I'll show you the flight path in a second. But anyway, they they like headed west, then south, then east, and that then back north again. So they did a circle, basically. Um, and then they also lost more altitude, going down below 7,000 feet. Then they climbed back up to 13,000 feet. So that's, that's how that's... drastic this up and down was. It was thousands of feet God. up and down. So after this uncontrollable loop and descent and ascent, the crew completely lost control of the plane. Flight 123 dropped off the radar at 6.56 p.m. at 6,800 feet as they descended into a mountain range. Mm. The wing of the plane clipped a mountain ridge, then rapidly descended. It hit a second mountain ridge at 391 miles per hour, flipped over, and landed on its back. The final crash site of JAL Flight 123 was at an elevation of 5,135 feet in Sector 76, State Forest 3577, Aza Hontani, Unio Village, Tano District, Gunma Pre- Prefecture. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. You, you almost got it. I almost got it. Almost. That was that not was, that funny. Was no. I was laughing at how long that was to say. That's all. This is near Mount Takamagahara, which for geographical reference is roughly central Japan. And I will show you at this point. This is the the blue was the Yeah, that's really That's how weird. they started. Yeah. And then that's where they were supposed to go. And this is what they ended up doing, the God, red. That's really strange. Isn't it? And that's the crash site. Oh fuck. I, I'm showing you the nice pictures of the mm-hmm. crash site. We'll we'll get to that in a second. But man, I'm, I'm guessing all the shit that the passengers and crew went through before they... I'm sure most of them at some point were just like, get this over with. Well... Like fucking... I'm getting to that right oh, now. Oh, God. From the time the bulkhead burst to the time the plane crashed was roughly 32 minutes. Oh, my God. So the poor people on this plane... I'm fucking ...were terrorized terror. for over a half an hour. Oh. All 15 crew members died, as well as passengers for a final death toll of 520 people. Because of how long the flight was in trouble before the crash, several passengers actually wrote isho, a Japanese word meaning like a last note or a final letter to your family. They, these notes confirm that oxygen masks did deploy and that flight attendants remained calm during the descent and gave emergency instructions. So the flight crew, like, by all accounts, they handled it absolutely like everything the, the way they were supposed to. And the flight attendants not even freaking out. That is professionalism, like, literally to the end. So that's amazing. Um, some people in the letters wrote that they felt sick because of the lack of oxygen. And translations, I'm sorry, this is going to get worse before it gets better. Translations of these letters include phrases like the following, quote, 
please live bravely. Please look after the children, end quote. Or, I am grateful for the truly happy life I have enjoyed until now. Also, be brave and live. And everybody, please live happily. Yeah, that sucks. All of that. All of that is just horrible, isn't God. it? So for 30 minutes, these people I knew. imagine. They obviously knew what was happening because they were writing yeah. letters to their family like, I love you. Keep living your life. And they knew Be it was happy. a. They knew it was a one in a million, one in a million shot that they were going to live. They're they're yeah. somewhere in the back of their mind. They're all thinking maybe. But yeah. For the, for the most part, they're all like, "This is it." Yeah. No shit. So yeah. I'm sure you do explain. The, like, why did they do that? It, because the plane was out of control. Oh. Okay. It, the plane was gotcha. just doing this whole thing. Gotcha. Like it. It probably was a combination. What we're talking about, just obviously, because no one can see what we're looking at, is a the flight path, like how it was supposed to go and how it ended up going, and it is very like um, it looks like loop and it looks like a little kid just scribbled on a screen. Right, that's what it looks like. But right. yeah, but obviously the plane's out of control. The plane is out of control, but they're still trying to control it. Sure. So probably at the point where it does that loop, they were kind of successfully fighting it, and then it just sort of took over and they kept were either going. fighting it or finding like little pockets where they could just go along maybe, with it. You know, maybe. Yeah. Like maybe. You know, uh-huh. like, okay, I'm gonna ride this little pocket for a little while. Right. I mean, the one thing you can say is that the pilots were clearly trying to fight it. They were trying to control the aircraft. They were trying they their hardest. They were doing hardest. whatever scenario they could possibly think of. To and the fact that, I mean, as terrifying as the fact that they were in the air, like, in this horrifying situation for 32 minutes is, they kept that plane up in the air for an additional 32 minutes. They they were trying. They didn't just, like, uh-oh, shit. Let's crash. <laughs> you know, they they were trying. They were absolutely trying. So, here's something. For those who've been following along carefully and doing all the math in their head, you might be confused right now because I said there were 509 passengers and 15 crew members. 520 people died. Does that math work out to you? No. There's four people missing out of that number, isn't there? So let's talk about the search and rescue. Did fucking people survive this? Four people, my friend. Holy shit. So let's talk about... Well, you know what kind of your tell was when you said all crew? Yes, I didn't want to say all passengers because it wasn't. It was not. What the fuck? But, How do you... Okay. But this is going to get worse before it gets oh, better, I warn you. Oh, no. So, search and rescue. A nearby U.S. Air Force base and a nearby Navy base had been monitoring Flight 123 after the distru- distress call. Because remember, this was like a half an hour. That's probably where that picture came from. Well, yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Like, after the distress... Oh, you if mean they the bases? Monitor- yes, yeah, I they, gotcha. If mm-hmm. they were monitored, yeah, 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 that's where that exactly. came from. Exactly. When the plane dropped from the radar, a U.S. Air Force aircraft from the 345th Airlift Squadron was deployed to find Flight 123. Sure. And they were able to find it 20 minutes after it crashed 
while there was still some daylight, because remember this was, it crashed at like 6.56 p.m. So In August. Yeah, in August. So, so. Was, there was still some light. Um, Northern Hemisphere still, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they notified Japanese authorities at Yokota Air Base of that location. Marine and Air Force teams were assembled to assist in the rescue, so they were like, Okay, go time. The plane, the plane that found them was a search plane, not a rescue sure. plane. So they were just reconnaissance. Just trying to just found it. Here's mm-hmm. where it is. Okay, now deploy yeah, all get, the rescue. Yeah. But the Marines and the U.S. Air Force received a message to stand down. The Japanese self-defense forces, the Japanese military, declined help from any outside sources. And it's still not known why they did this. Okay. Uh, JSDF, Japanese Self-Defense Forces helicopter, was deployed to find the wreck for itself. Though it took the crew a while to spot the wreckage because at that point it had become dark outside. So Mm -hmm. time has elapsed. The U.S. Air Force found it within 20 minutes. Now clearly some time has gone by, even after it has been found and... The JSDF is like, well, we're finding it for ourselves. And this is when seconds matter, and they're taking an extra... <laughs> well, poor Jeez. visibility and the rough mountain terrain prevented the helicopter from landing on site, and they were instructed to land 39 miles away from the crash site, pitch tents, and spend the night. They were supposed to resume rescue efforts the following morning. The fuck? Yeah. I don't... Nobody really knows why this happened this way. Yeah, that... So, meanwhile, back at the wreckage, one of the four survivors, a 26-year-old off-duty JAL employee, so she worked for the airlines, Yumi Ochiai, regained consciousness at the sound and lights from the helicopter. And unfortunately for her, the lights and the sound went away because this helicopter was told to land almost 40 miles away. As she lay among the wreckage, she could hear the sound of other crash survivors screaming and moaning. And then the sound started to die down during the night. Sure. Presumably as survivors also Uh, died. Bled out or whatever. So not more than those four people survived the crash. Initially, But yes. they didn't all survive the night. God. The following morning, hours later, obviously, like potentially 12 hours later, at worst, uh, best maybe, um, were fi- rescue teams were finally deployed to the site. As Yumi Ochiai's account suggested, they found evidence that some of the bodies they found had initially survived the crash, only to die overnight from shock, exposure, or injuries that would not have been fatal if they had received medical attention mm-hmm. earlier. God. Yeah. You go through all that. You, you survive. somehow survive it. And And then they let you die. Wow. That's uh. That's fucking cold. So wow. a total of four passengers survived flight one twenty Flight 123 crash. All four were women. Yumi Ochiai, who we already mentioned. Kiko Kawakami, a 12-year-old girl who was traveling with her parents and sister, all of whom died. Mm -hmm. And Hiroko and Mikiko Yoshizaki, 
a 34-year-old mother and her 8-year-old daughter. So these oh, were okay. all younger yeah. women. All four were seated near the rear of the plane. Okay. So they were close to where the problem was sure. on the plane, but I presume the way that, like, if it was nose diving and fell, oh, like, flipped, that maybe the greatest damage was done to the front of the plane. It's just it, that or anybody that yeah. anybody lives through this. Yeah. Is, well, and is, more of them, more than them, and more than the, yeah, lived. God. It's just they did not live through the. I mean, you'd think that subsequent everybody's just like lapse. pulverized as soon as this yeah, thing no, hits. No, not at all. Wow. So. To get a little more morbid before we start to wrap up, um, they are out there, and if you really want to see photos of the crash site, including people and parts of people, they're out there, but I cannot give, I cannot stress the trigger warning enough to be very careful. Did I look at them? Yes, of course, because I'm me, but most people I know for damn sure I'm not going to. Don't. If if you are the tiniest bit sensitive, don't look for them. If you aren't the tiniest bit sens- bit sensitive, you are probably a psychopath <laughs> or me. <laughs> and I'm just hoping just, I'm not. I was going to say, did you, just, did you just admit something to I me? I did. Over, I mean, a, over a show? They, they're very Should sad. Should I sleep on the couch tonight? Where should I sleep tonight? <laughs> well, it would be nice to have the bed to myself. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It, I bet it would. I'm kidding. After I'm dead. <laughs> Not with your parents in town. That's true. So it won't happen until tomorrow night. Exactly. (laughs) So, huh? We 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 good? We're all I yeah. I'm 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 just now. I'm I'm more mad than I am because like sad. Like extra people were allowed to just die. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Be prepared to get a little well, let's, angrier. <laughs> as far as the whole U.S.-Japanese relation, okay. Um, well, true. This isn't that far away from World War II. I mean, 40 years sounds like a long time. Well, and but it's still during the Cold War era, yeah. so a lot of world uh, Every, relations were Everybody's on edge. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I can see how they'd be like, okay. You Look, s- we you can s- handle this. I, I could see if they were like, okay, you spotted the wreckage. Thank you. Uh-huh. No, fuck off. Now our team is going to go in. Right. The whole thing that they were like, no, we're not going to verify that because that was you guys. We're going to send in our own people to verify where the wreckage right. is. That cost, that cost oh, yeah. people's lives right there. Oh, yeah. And then to, well, we don't think we can land here. It's too dangerous. Well, then you find a team that can land there and start extracting. Or just like... I guess my thought is it's, they must have thought nobody survived, or they would have had m- a much bigger sense of urgency. And I'm sure that that's what everybody was thinking, but uh-huh. you still send in your people oh, yes. to verify oh, yes. that nobody's alive. Yeah. Oh. And that that's happen. what didn't happen. Yep. And that's that. That's what's oh, very that pisses me right. off. Yeah. It's like, yes, they probably are all dead. Make sure, right? They're all dead because don't, don't don't assume they're all you know because you don't want to find out like they did Jesus. that people survived and then died yeah. and somehow four four women managed to hang survive on. that survive the night. Well, three women and a little girl yeah. managed to hang. On. Well, no, two girls. There's a twelve year old and an eight year old, and yeah. then two women. Yeah. Managed to hang in, probably through what was the most horrific night of their lives. After the most horrific 30 minutes of their lives, yeah. the, the little 12-year-old lost all her family mm-hmm. and probably knew it. 
the little eight-year-old and her mom were trying to hang on. Can you imagine what the poor mom was trying to say to her daughter oh, to geez, keep her no. even remotely calm? Oh, I'm sure they all, and they all had notes written and everything, just and like what you were talking the, about. the poor woman who, who worked for the airlines, like, fuck this. Yeah. You know? All right. So that's, that's shitty. It's really shitty. Okay. Are we ready to move on to the investigation? No, I'm, I can't wait for this part. Yeah. So obviously... The crash was investigated immediately by Japan's Aircraft Accident Investigation Commission. So it's basically like the FAA. Sure. Their version of it. Yeah. Yeah. They spent 20 months on the investigation. So they can't be faulted for not taking their time. Sounds like they took their time. And Um, and in the end, they produced a 600-page report on their findings. So it sounds very thorough. So the first thing they're obviously going to look at is why that... Part of blue, blue open. Exactly. That's the first thing they're going to look exactly. at. Exactly. So, the investigation found that on June 2nd, 1978, which was seven years before the crash, the plane experienced a tail strike at Osaka International Airport. So, tail strike is exactly what it sounds like, the tail of the plane hitting the runway. Oh, Okay. The tail strike significantly damaged parts at the rear of the plane, including the rear pressure bulkhead. And while nobody died in this incident, 25 people, 25 passengers did get injured. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't an incident-less thing. Sure. So, and the plane was fucked up, I'm sure, too. Yeah, so exactly. So this plane had to get fixed. So because it was a 747, JAL contracted the repair to a Boeing airplane on ground team because this was a Boeing airplane, right? Mm-hmm. So this team did the repairs, but when it came to installing the new bulkhead, they found that they were not able to install it per the prescribed instructions. So, and there are diagrams and stuff if you want to go online, but I'm gonna see if I can um, describe this sufficiently. They basically did a sort of make it work repair mm-hmm. that made the structure an estimated 70% weaker and more prone to cracking from fatigue than if it had been done correctly. So basically, there was a sort of like sandwich of mechanical plates that had to be bolted together, two that semi overlapped, and then it would have one in the middle that evenly overlapped both. So it would. And that has to deal with... Um, it's reinforcing. Well, that and through a plane's flight, it will heat up and cool down. So right, So you want to yes. leave enough space for expansion and right, contraction. Yeah, which yeah. is, that's why it's, yeah. Right. So Most so of the these, time in flight, it's going to be really cold, obviously. Right, but then it but, heats but then up. They, but then they, those planes it, stay on the ground for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours sometimes. And if you're landing in some place like yeah. Miami, it's going to warm up. Right, so. they were just staying in Japan, but sure. still, yeah. still. So uh, the, there, these were three plates that had to be bolted together in sort of like a staggered position. Um, and the two bulkhead plates, like I said, the top and the bottom, weren't right on top of each other. They were like staggered, so that it was called a splice plate in between. That was supposed to be riveted in between them to make the whole structure stronger, but the fix... The Boeing team made to make it work <laughs> fix. involved cutting the splice plate so the rivets could line up, which basically all but negated any good the splice plate was supposed to do. So it was supposed to be a solid piece of metal that was properly S- secured staggered to both. Staggered and staggered. 
In the middle. Yeah. Yeah. But they cut it at least partway, so, like, it wasn't doing half the good it was supposed to. And they did that because they couldn't get the holes to line up. Like, that's how stupid it was. It's just like, oh, my God. Literally, yeah, that's how stupid. Mathematically speaking, this incorrect installation would hold up for about 10,000 flights before (sighs) it came apart. So... And now, what flight were they on? They like were on 12,319. 12, oh my god. Now, at the same time, I'm also realizing as I'm saying this, like, I've, I, that's how that's how many flights I had said it had been through altogether, but I think it was just after this fix, that's how many times oh, okay. flights it had been okay. through. Well, that seems excessive. At any rate, this entire thing was caused by a team of engineers deciding to make something fit. That was the cause of this whole thing. And that's not something you do with a plane. No. <laughs> no. It's really it's not, not. It's really not no. something you should do with a car. No. But, you it's know. It's not something you should do with anything. <laughs> yeah. Like, anything that's structurally well, yeah. sometimes an issue. You get, yeah, I've moved plenty of times. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But not for but, uh, structures. No, I know. I'm just, I'm just joking. But you especially don't do that with a fucking plane. No, like any plane, a giant ass, especially plane that one can that hold that over commutes. People. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So, <laughs> because of the findings, <laughs> Boeing strikes again. <laughs> many people faulted Japanese airlines for not catching the Boeing's the, the Boeing team's incorrect fix during mechanical inspections. Right, even if this had happened, they should have caught it. So they theorized that Boeing was taking the blame for this one to protect their big customer, Japanese Airlines. There's like a little bit of a conspiracy theory. But regardless, public confidence in JAL tanked and their domestic passengers decreased by 25% immediately after the findings. So JAL... That's a big dip in business. Yes. JAL did not admit any liability for the crash. But they did pay 780 million Japanese yen, which translated today is roughly 18 million U.S. dollars, in what was called, quote, condolence money to the families of the victims. JAL President Yasumoto Takagi resigned. One JAL employee, a maintenance manager named Hiru Tominaga, took it one very extreme step further and killed himself in a sort of weird honor suicide. I know exactly. Did it involve a grenade? Or a knife? I don't have any yeah. information. I, I, any I, harikiri or something? No, or no, no. But, but it is like an honor. Like, I, I know what he's talking about. I've seen it. An honor killing, yeah. yeah. Like, But like he did it to himself. himself. Yes, an yeah. honor suicide. It's like a... Yes, that's harikiri. Yeah. Oh, I that's believe. what that's called? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. I, I keep wanting to call it Harry Carey, because that's not it. Like the broadcast? Yes. <laughs> I think it's Harry Carey or... <laughs> Line drive down Centerville. <laughs> holy cow! That no, was that, Harry Carey. No, yeah. No. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, holy cow. Yes, you're right. Yes. Trust yes. me, I know my Harry Carey. You know who team he call, whose team he called, right? Yeah, the Cubbies. Yeah, my dad's team. Mm-hmm. So I've heard many a Harry Carey-ism in my day. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we'll have to ask our friends at... Oh, there's a podcast. They follow us on Twitter. Darn it, darn it, darn it. I really want to call them out. Holy cow, it was <laughs> Phil Rizzuto. Hands Eye Podcast. No, it was Harry Carey. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Anyway, Hands Eye Podcast. Listen and let us know if we're right on this. I know that I'm right about Harry Carey. So right that I'm actually going to look it up, and I normally don't. Harry Carey, not the American. There's an American actor named Harry Carey. Is there? Harry Carey Cubs. Holy cow. Or maybe that's where Phil Rizzuto got it from. Oh, Carey is how you spell his name. I'm going to have to... Holy cow, see? Harry okay. Carey. I don't know what I'm thinking of then. Me neither. Cut, anyway. that, cut that from the broadcast. <laughs> I'm not cutting any of that. You know I'm too lazy. <laughs> but Hanzai Podcast, let me know if I'm right about Harry Carey. Anyway, another JAL employee, an engineer named Susumu Tajima, who had previously inspected the plane and cleared it as flightworthy, also killed himself. Though that was thought to be less of an honor killing and more because of personal struggles at work. So. Oh, either way. So basically, a couple we'll, people we'll go, killed for themselves. His, for his sake, we'll go with the honor killing. Yeah. Captain Takahama's daughter, so the captain who died in the crash trying to control the plane and managed who it for 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Oh. His daughter, who was a teenager at the time of the crash, went on to become a flight attendant at JAL. Okay. So that was pretty hardcore. Yeah. Today there is a shrine on the mountain ridge at Mount Takamagahara commemorating the victims of the crash. Even though the Tenerife collision, which we mentioned before and covered before, remains the deadliest plane crash in aviation history with a total death toll of 583. Okay. JAL Flight 123 remains to this day the deadliest single aircraft plane crash in aviation history. And that, my friends, was the really, truly very bad, awful story of JAL Flight 123. Imagine being on the worst, like, most unpleasant roller coaster ride you've ever been on. Imagine doing that for 32 minutes. And knowing you're going to die at the end. (laughs) That is the most... But still, like, but now, like, I'm still in, like, mad mode. Like, these yeah. idiots, like, couldn't, like, that's just, yeah, I, that's the part I can't get over. Yeah, that they let them. That they let other people who could have lived die. Yeah. For, I mean, really, for. It's not even identifiable. Yeah, machismo, yeah. like, yeah. like, we don't need the, we don't need your help. Oh, well, we'll just wait. Like, well, what? Well, you may not need their help, but guess who does? Yeah. Uh, However many people. I'm yeah. crazy that there are people that survive this. Cause I know. obviously everybody's for, you know. I know. Everybody's dead. Yeah. But you still make sure as mm-hmm. soon as you can. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's the part that just irks me. You know what's, what's weird, too? Or not weird, but just kind of sad to think about? This was in 1985, so it was 33 years ago this summer. Anyway, mm-hmm. it'll be 33 years. The oldest of these people who survived was 34. That means oh, okay. they are most likely all alive today. For them, yeah. And the eight-year-old was your age. Yes, literally your yep. age. So yep. there are four people out there who had to go through 30 minutes of literal living hell and then last an entire night Surrounded by dead bodies. In one and, case... And people dying. It, in one case, it was a girl who was surrounded by her dead family. Mm-hmm. And then wait overnight. Yeah, by surrounded by people who are dying 
to get rescued the next day and then had to go on with their lives somehow. Yeah. Survivors of these things, I don't even know. I mean, I know that there's like a the survival instinct and everything, which thank God, because otherwise no one would ever make it through anything like this. Right. I hope for their sakes. I mean, I can't imagine that you ever stop thinking about what you went through. Probably not. But I do hope for their sakes. They got the therapy they needed. They got the medication they needed. I hope they are living happy lives. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, that they got that they got some goddamn money out of it too to at least well I don't know I mean does it hey, matter I mean in the end probably not but you know yeah. what it's better than at least to pay their therapy bills it's better than going through all the, those emotions and being broke so that's true <laughs> I mean, fair enough I mean if you're gonna go through all that shit you might as well be somewhat comfortable financially so fair enough. It's just, I guess that's all to say I have the utmost respect for survivors of anything traumatic because I can barely make it through, like, being embarrassed that I said something stupid the day before, you know? So I can't imagine going through something like that and then just like, okay, now you're expected to live the rest of your life. I, you know, fucking raise my can of beer. I'll raise my empty can of... uh, Oh, we didn't make... (laughs) Our koozies keep clinking. There we go. (laughs) I'm having my uh, national local beer tonight. I am having the Sky Blue Kolsch by Carolina Brewery. I think I'm going to have one of those next if you don't mind. Okay. That's okay. You can... You can drink my good beer. Yeah. Well, I had one of your spilt waters you the other did. day. So. <laughs> Amazingly. All right. So we're just laughing and carrying on because that was such a horrific story. Yeah. That, that was a bad one. That made my stomach drop and then it made my blood boil. So. Yeah. that's a, It was a rough story, wasn't mm-hmm. it? There's like nothing. I mean, there's nothing good about any of the stories we tell. But some of them, I don't know. They have their moments of lightheartedness. This one did not. No. This like one none didn't. whatsoever. Nope. No, nope, this was just terrible. Not much use for me in this episode because there's really nothing to make fun I of. I know. It just gets it gets to that point. So <laughs> not that I'm always useful in that capacity anyway. So this But especially in this instance. This episode is dedicated to Yumi Ochiai Keiko clearly I've been drinking more because I can't. She lost her again. Japanese. Keiko Kawakami, um, and Hiroko and Mikiko Yoshizaki. I hope you all, because you're badasses who managed to survive this, ended up having the best life possible and are still continuing to kick ass and be amazing people because that's pretty hardcore that you were able to survive all that. And to, I mean, that's not to say that the other people were not badass. The fact that, like, people were able to write letters that yeah. were that nice mm-hmm. while they thought they were dying, that is incredibly composed. Uh, I was going to say, that's, uh, yeah. That's, m- man, that's, yeah. Anyway, I'm babbling. I think we should wrap this up. That yes. was the story of JAL Flight 123. And that was a brutal one. And, oh. But this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.